You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 111. That's 111 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm um, just processing 111 and thinking. <laughs> Is it that hard to process? No, I just feel like there should be something more in it, but I can't think of anything, so we'll leave it at that. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, I'm. <laughs> I'm, You're uh, well. <laughs> I'm very well. I'm, um, I'm, I've survived the great wet of oh my New South goodness. Wales, and um, we had a small leak in the roof, but it was all right. It's all good now. So uh, oh. the builder was up there yesterday, um, sorting all that out. Um, so yeah, no, we're all good. And I, I took Procrasty Pup for a walk this morning, like his first long walk in many, many days, and he was extremely happy to get out. So yes. Yes. Goodness me. Well, the great wet of New South Wales has taught me one very important thing, and that is to have more food in the house. Because (laughs) at all times, just in case. I was becoming a survivalist. Well, (laughs) I was living on cruskets and peanut butter there for a while. That's hilarious. Until the cruskets ran out. Oh, dear. Yeah, so I'm going to be um, shopping up a storm and getting some more canned food and other things oh, in case hilarious. it happens again. I made a break for the shops on Sunday afternoon I, because I live sort of right in town and it wasn't too far. Mm. So I ran to the car in a break and off I went. And I got down there and um, I was doing my shopping and all the power went out. Oh, <laughs> It was honestly the weirdest moment. It was like I felt like I'd wandered into a zombie novel. It was like yeah. and, and everybody just stood there like, what do we do? Yeah. I wonder what mm. they do to the meat and the ice cream and all of that. Oh, well, I can tell you, but it would be very boring. And we are actually on the So You Want to Be a Writer yes. podcast, yes. so we should probably get on with that. Yes. Are you writing anything, Valerie? Let's start That's... with an important question. Well, I wasn't writing on the weekend, but because of the great big wet and for international listeners – Basically, the east coast of Australia was hammered with major, major storms. Uh, Because I had to stay at home and eat cruskets and peanut butter, I did a whole lot of editing. Mm. So I wasn't really in the mood for writing, but I was certainly thinking I've got to be productive since I've got to be stuck inside. So I was doing a whole heap of editing of a bunch of different things. Um, And so I got a lot done, actually. So in terms of productivity, the great wet was great from a – from a getting stuff done point of view. How about you? Well, I got writing done as well because, as you know, I've got the hashtag write a book with Al challenge on at the moment. So um, as I've said many, many times, that expectation, uh, that accountability does make you feel like you need to sit down and do something useful. So I managed to drag myself away from reading a couple of times to actually get some words done. So that was good. Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's... 
I didn't feel like it. Um, but as I've said before, sometimes you just have to show up even when you don't feel like mm. it and get some words out. And it's amazing, you know, you, I, I worked through a couple of little thorny plot issues I was having just because I was actually there. Yes. So, you know, it's worth, it's worth, you know, turning up to your computer and just seeing what happens, I think. Well, well anyway. done. So we want to give a couple of shout-outs this week. First shout-out is to Bezzy W. Now, Bezzy has left us a uh, review on iTunes, and Bezzy has said, inspiring and detailed. Uh, Bezzy says, I love listening to Valerie and Alison. I drop the kids at school and listen to it while walking the dog. By the time I get home, I'm always motivated to get writing. I'd recommend it to anyone interested in writing and books. Thank you, Bezzy. Much Thanks appreciated. Much. Yes. Yeah, it's great yes. to hear that it's motivating. But we also want to give a big shout out to Sally Fawcett, who is a graduate at the Australian Writer Centre, and she did the course Writing Picture Books, and her first picture book has just been released. Yahoo! Yeah, very exciting. Um, and uh, she says, thanks to Kathy Tasker and the wonderful picture book writing course, one of the manuscripts I wrote during the course, I sent to EK Books. This manuscript caught the eye of the publisher and she contacted me. And um, it, that manuscript was eventually rejected, but it got her foot in the door. And later, EK Books signed her up for a different manuscript and also gave her the opportunity to illustrate it as well. So the book is called What Could It Be? And it looks awesome. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I've only just found out about this. So congratulations to Sally. Yay, Sally. Go, Sally. Go, Sally. So I thought I wanted to share something with you, Al. Uh, And see whether you've ever encountered this. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. This week, it's not quite related to writing, but it sort of is. Um, This week, I met someone who doesn't have an email address seriously seriously and he would be maybe a few years younger than me so um so 21 then yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and he doesn't have an email address he did have email previously the last time he used it was eight years ago so he hasn't had an email address for the last eight years and you know he doesn't do internet banking he goes to the bank and he just goes, yeah, I just don't need it. Um, I call people or I SMS them. So why doesn't he have an email address? Is this like a conscious I choose to be email guy and not have an email address? It's not a philosophical thing. He just says he doesn't find the need for it. You know, he doesn't need email, so why have email? It's bizarre. And can you imagine us as writers if we didn't have an email address? I know. like I thought I was a Luddite but that's amazing that's amazing I was my jaw was on the ground for about half an hour while talking to him and it's just it's just bizarre (laughs) okay so all right what do you guys think has it do you does do all of our listeners have email addresses do you use them all the time I'm just I'm kind of fascinated that you, I mean, even my mum and dad have email addresses yeah. and they're in their 70s. Yeah. But, can, okay. but while we're on the subject of email, one thing that I think is relevant to writers, especially if you want to be taken seriously, especially if you are a freelance writer or a copywriter who wants to be taken seriously, is get your own email address. Please do not have John and Mary at bigpond.com or whatever. <laughs> You know, don't share the email address with your husband. Some or your people wife. who share Facebook, I find that really funny. 
people. Now they have a joint Facebook account. Oh, that's bizarre. Yeah, have you not seen that? I have not seen that. It's really interesting. Yeah, I I find it a, I mean, it's a, I guess it's a sharing, caring kind of thing to do. But, um, yeah, if you're a professional writer and you want to be taken seriously, you need your own email address. needs to be a sensible email address. You can't be hotchick69 at Yahoo. Um, And, yeah, and... Yeah, really. Although I do know one very, very um, well-regarded, well-respected writer, and his email address is fluffboy at something or other, I won't say. <laughs> you can't fluffboy? Yes. How do you even come up with fluffboy? <laughs> I think it's a naughty term. It sounds naughty. <laughs> it is naughty. But, you and uh, I worked at Clio. We know exactly what fluffboy is. But he's... um. Well, very well regarded. So the editors uh, have known him and his email address for quite a long time. But, you know, definitely get your own email address. They're free, <laughs> like from Gmail or wherever. Um, and whatever you do, don't do like um, someone I know who wanted to be taken seriously as a writer, but she was emailing from, let's say her husband's name is John Smith, and let's just pretend that he worked at, you know, um, AMP, mm-hmm. um, she would email editors from John Smith at, email, at amp.com.au. And <laughs> why? Because she didn't have one. So she would phone in her email to her husband at work and he would email from his email address. Wow. <laughs> it was bizarre. How confused would the editors be? It's almost like using it. You might as well use, be using a telegraph or a, you know, a carrier pigeon as do it that way. Like, as you say, you can. I mean, hotmail addresses have been free for 20 oh, I know. years. <laughs> Insane. I get it. Insane. Anyway, uh, let us move on to the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week, shall we? Let's, please. <laughs> I think you've uh, got something for us. Oh, I do. Um, so, uh, okay, well, sorry, I'm still stuck on fluff, boy. I'm not quite sure where <laughs> I'm going from here. <laughs> to, uh, to change the tone, um, I found a link on writersrelief.com mm. and uh, it is. it was about, and it was kind of like a reassuring link, or it must have been, because I put it on the Australian Writers' Centre page and everybody cheered and clapped and, and uh, got very excited. So the link is called Five Authors Who Took Five Years or More to Write Their Books. Yes. Um, and I think it's one of those things that, you know, in this day and age there seems to be um, uh, there seems to be this message that you've got to write lots of books very quickly. And I think that mm. that comes partly from digital publishing and partly from indie publishing because the best way to really cement yourself a presence on Amazon is to have a backlist. And if you're a new writer, that means you need to write a lot of books quite quickly to submit, you know, to kind of give yourself some shelf space, so to speak. So there is this idea that you've got to write really quickly. And if you're not a person who writes quickly, then that can add a lot of pressure to what you're doing. And it's unnecessary pressure in many ways. Um, because uh, you know some of the some of the best and most well-known authors in the whole world took a very very long time to actually write their novels yes. and one of those in particular is is JK Rowling you know arguably yes. the biggest breakout writer of our time as writers relief says she took 5 years to plan the story of Harry Potter wow. that's before she even started writing the book Five years to plan. Now, I can't get my head around that, of course, but it's one of those things that I think um, taking your time over something and getting it exactly right 
can be as effective as writing lots and lots and lots of books to cement your space on Amazon, I think. Yes. And I love the idea of planning because sometimes your stories just get fleshed out when you have that meditation time, when you have that thinking time, when you're not necessarily forcing yourself to get the words out. Sometimes you do need to do that, but I think that a lot has to be said for the planning process, definitely. So don't fret if you're taking longer than, you know, oh, my God, 12 months to write your book. Well, that's right. I mean, look, Margaret Mitchell took 10 years to write Gone With The Wind. Yes. 10 years. And then, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien took 16 years to write The Lord of the Rings, yeah, which is nice. now a truly known as a trilogy, but was actually just one very, 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 very long book to start with. It's so, you know, it's time Time is important. And I think that we are getting to a point now where everybody thinks, I've got to get it done so quickly that people mm. are perhaps not putting enough time into the actual writing process. Particularly if it's your first book. Yeah. You know, take your time because that's the first impression you're going to make and you know you don't don't rush it enjoy the creative process once you've got your four book deal and you're on to book four and you have to deliver by a particular time then you know you've got to deliver that's a whole different story yeah enjoy (laughs) the link for that one (laughs) yeah absolutely let's move on to um another link which is that people are hungry for real bookstores well Yes, and the real story with this one is uh, this uh, was found on the Guardian books page, which I do love, guardian.com. Judy Bloom, at 78, multi-million dollar, uh, sorry, multi-million selling author, Mm. has opened a bookshop. I know, right? I mean, seriously. (laughs) I'm going. Seriously, I travel. But, yeah, she's she's, uh, got herself a little bookshop. In, it's a small non-profit bookshop in Key West in Florida and she goes every day to work mm-hmm. and she's loving it. Mm-hmm. I, think a lot of, I think a lot of writers have a dream. I think often, you know, I've always had this dream of, you know, having my own bookshop, writing my books at my in my bookshop, you know, watching as people browse and just having a lovely life, which is mm. completely not what running a bookstore is all about. No. You really have to be on the job. Oh, yeah. But um, I think it's fab because according to the story, business for independent bookstores in America in general is going well. Like mm. Judy Bloom believes that people are hungry for real bookstores yes. and the figures tend to back her up. They're saying that, you know, people are opening, there are more bookshops opening in the States. I mean, there's been a lot, a massive downturn. I don't think they'll ever get back to the number there was, say, but it's um, it's nice to see that things are looking up. And if Judy Bloom is opening a bookshop, well, I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. I love bookshops. Well, I love good bookshops. Mm. There's, you know, there, there's some that you kind of go, who picks the books in here? <laughs> <laughs> but there's some who, like, if my weekend ritual, so either Saturday or Sunday, I will go to my local bookshop, which is fantastic. I love it. And it's got a little cafe. And I've eaten everything at that cafe. <laughs> I've gone through the whole menu. So my little ritual is I go there, I order my Earl Grey tea and my whatever food I'm having, and I read the papers. And after that, I will browse. And invariably, every single time, I will leave with a book or books. So it's great. It's 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 just such a um, it's it's a process of discovery which mm. you can't experience online in the same way. 
No, that's right. Browsing is very, I find, you know, you, I think if you buy books online, you have to know what you want. Yes. I think you go looking for a specific thing. Whereas, you know, with a bookshop experience, you can you can poke about in a section that you're interested in and, you you know, discover something new. And I think that that's, um, as you say, one of the really nice parts of the whole ritual. So go Judy Bloom and yes. let's have more bookshops. Absolutely. Okay, we have a link from Ellie Marnie's blog. We do have a link from Ellie Marnie's blog, and I I um I found this link. It's called Above the Waterline. It's at elliemarnie.com. and Ellie is a really successful Australian YA author. Her mm-hmm. every series um, was last year one of the only. It was I think the only Australian author on the top 10 most borrowed YA books in Australia list for the year. Wow. You know, this year there were none, which I think is highly disappointing, but that's that's a completely different story. Mm. But so she's, you know, she's doing really well. Kids love her books. She's, it's, it's going out there beautifully. Now what she's done here though is she's written a blog post about a typical day for her. And I think that this is an important reality check for all of those people who are, you know, I don't have time to write. Mm. I can't find time to write. I'm too busy. There's no space in my life for writing. I don't understand, you know. And, you know, once I get published, everything will be different. Mm. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> it's not different. So Ellie, mm. you know, as I say, she has this trilogy. It's, uh, it's gone to the States. It's gone to the UK. It's selling really well. She's doing really well as an author. She gets up at 6 and then she goes through her day and she still works as a um, casual teacher. So she has days where she's, you know, in schools doing her thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she has, you know, she's given this full list of what she does. And she's at this point, you know, doing renovations. She's trying to do to writing. She's got, uh, she gets phone calls. She's worried that she's going to have to collect a sick child. At mm-hmm. two o'clock, she's got a um, basically leave for school pickup because she lives in the country, spends half a day in the car taking kids to places. Mm-hmm. She's got, you know, swimming lessons and chemists and greengrocers and all the things that everybody has. You know, she's um, she's online doing uh, – she she runs a couple of Facebook groups, one of which is the Love Oz YA Book Club, which helps to promote Australian, you know, YA novels. Mm-hmm. At 10 o'clock, she changes back into her tracksuit track pants and goes to work oh. because she's – um, a team of support carers for a local man who you know who who needs assistance. So she goes and does that. So th- this is this is her day, and this is how it is. Wow. And in the meantime, she is still writing novels. Mm, I'm exhausted just thinking about this. It is, and she also talks about some of the things that she has to. You know, she she gives a few tips here about things that she tries to do when she's juggling writing. Because I know at the time she wrote this. She actually had a major deadline on for um, her latest novel. Mm. Um, you know, she talks about the importance of sleep and she talks about the importance of self-care, which is really important. And I know I remember you talking about the fact that when you were on a really, really big deadline, you organised – who was it that was delivering your food? Light and easy. Light and easy. This is, this is, not, this is not, a, not a sponsored post. No. Um, yeah. So, you know, she talks about the fact that, you know, you try to eat well, you make sure that things are, are working. And she talks about the importance of organisation, scheduling and small goals. Mm. And I think that this is where people can really sort of learn from working writers. It's, it's uh, she's not sitting there waiting for, for the muse. She's like, this is what I'm going to work. She also timetables her day so that she, it takes the load off. She's going to do this then, she's going to do that then, she's going to write now. So I think um, it's a great 
post for people to have a yes. read of, to get an idea of what it's like to be a working writer, Reality. but also to have a look at um, at the, some of the things that you can do to help, you know, get that writing done. Yep, fantastic post. And, of course, we'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Hmm. Now, let's move on to our giveaway for this week. Our giveaway is our Memoir Mega Pack Month. So we've got five books, all of them are memoirs, and you have until Monday the 27th of June to enter. And you can enter at writerscentre.com.au slash win. And you get to win The Media and the Massacre by Sonia Vomard, great memoir. Um, One Foot on the Podium by Don Elgin with at Kevin Maloney, fantastic book. Truths, Half-Truths and Little White Lies by Nick Frost. In Other Words by Jumpa Lahiri, very acclaimed book. And, of course, Eat, Pray, Love Made Me Do It, Life <laughs> Journeys Inspired by the best-selling memoir with an intro by Elizabeth Gilbert. So you can see what all of these people did after they read Eat, Pray, Love. So if you want to enter, writerscentercomau slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in magazine and newspaper writing, Stage 1, is the fastest way to get there. Step by step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, how to approach editors, how to research and structure your articles, plus interviewing skills, industry expectations and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your very own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash magazine. All right, are you ready for the word of the week, Al? Uh, I could not be more ready, Val. (laughs) I'm sure you know this word. Um, I remember when I first heard the word, I thought, oh, and this was years and years years ago, I thought, oh, they must have used the wrong word. Um, So the word is bucolic, B-U-C-O-L-I-C, bucolic. And when I first heard it, I thought, um, you know, because somebody used it in something like, oh, it was a very bucolic scene with with, um, rolling meadows and, and, and sheep frolicking through the grass. And I thought, how could that be bucolic? Bucolic must be a, you know, a negative word, like, because it sounds like bubonic, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but, of course, it actually means, it's, it's an adjective and it describes a very lovely scene and usually in a rustic or rural setting where lands do frolic in the grass. So <laughs> It always makes me think of Thomas Hardy. Bucolic. Oh, yes. I always think of that. And I, I, it tends to be used in, in our house, you know, in slightly sarcastic terms because, you know, here we are living in our bu- bucolic. <laughs> yes, I imagine you having a bucolic existence. Well, I don't have lambs because, no. you know, Procrasty Pup would chase them around the backyard. But it's fairly bucolic, I guess. Yes. But we are in, we are in town. Do you have where a garden and you yeah, sit in it? I, I, I do, yes. There's... You know, there's no peonies swaying in the breeze, but I do have roses <laughs> and I do have, you know, autumnal leaves at present. So, yes, there's there's a certain amount of bucolic going on. That's I a guess. good word too, isn't it? Autumnal. You like it? Yeah, I like it. Anyway. It's all happening. We've got frolicking in the autumnal leaves. Yes. 
So bucolic, that's the word of the week. And if you want to use it in a blog post or in one of your social media updates, do let us know. We'd love to hear about it. So shall we move on to our writer in residence this week? Who do you have for us? Well, I think this is very exciting because I don't know what you did on Sunday night while the great wet was on, but I watched mm. television because at least at least my, you know, electricity was working. Mm. And it was the first episode of the new series on Showcase on Foxtel. This is not sponsored, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's not terrible we have to say I that. know, it's ridiculous. I think what we need to let people know is that if we ever, ever, ever had a sponsored po- a post or whatever, we would let you know. Yes. That's right. We would let you know. So anyway, there was so much hype and advertising for this show. I decided I had to watch it and I don't regret it. It was very, very enjoyable. And it's called Secret City and it's a mini series. It's set in Canberra. It's a political thriller. It stars Jackie Weaver, Alan Dale. Remember Jim Robinson from Oh, Vegas? I do. <laughs> He's played so many presidents and vice presidents and prime ministers now. Um, and Anna Torv and Dan Wiley and Alex Dimitriades and it's a star-studded cast. Mm-hmm. And it is actually based on these two books called The Marmalade Files and The Mandarin Code. And they are written by, so the sequel is The Mandarin Code, they are written by Steve Lewis and Chris Orman. And Chris Orman is a political editor of ABC News. And I thought that was fascinating because I would I, I was intrigued as to how you co-write a novel because I've read I've read the first one, the Marmalade Files, and it it has a strong single voice, single narrative throughout. So mm-hmm. I was intrigued as to well, how in the world do you co-write this book? And so um, our writer in residence is actually Steve Lewis, and he oh, lived in Canberra first in the early 90s or something and spent the next two two decades covering the nation's political elite and he worked as a political reporter for the Financial Review and a bunch of other newspapers and he's currently a senior advisor at Newgate Communications and he Mm -hmm. took the time to talk to us about his writing. So Steve thanks so much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure thanks Valerie. Now, just for readers who haven't read the book yet, Secret City, it's being packaged um, in to time with the release of the Foxtel series. Just tell us what it's about. Well, Secret City is essentially um, a tie-in with the, the miniseries on Foxtel. It's actually um, really comprises two books, the, the Marmalade Files and the Mandarin Code, which I co-wrote with... Chris Hillman, who's very well known to people um, who watch the ABC or listen to the ABC. He's a political editor for the ABC. So Chris and I have actually, we've written or co-authored these two books, which have been um, released by HarperCollins as a tie-in with the Foxtel miniseries. So that's the, I guess, the backdrop to, to Secret City. And tell us a little bit about what the story is about. Well, look, the the... The story is a political drama. It's set in Canberra. It's set against the backdrop of um, our two biggest partners, I guess, China and America, uh, jostling for supremacy. So uh, with our first book, The Marmalade Files, that was probably more a satirical thriller. 
The Mandarin Code, the second book, um, is probably more of a thriller than a satire. And uh, we have a third book coming out, Shadow Game, in, in several months' time, which will complete the trilogy, if you like. Uh, and that'll be even more of a, a thriller again. So they're, they're political thrillers set in Canberra, uh, very contemporary. They deal with the big global themes of America and China. They deal with the uh, they they deal with uh, a lot of contemporary issues such as uh, cyber espionage, such as the demise of mainstream media, yeah. and they really explore the power relationships that occur in Canberra involving politicians, uh, bureaucrats, journalists, lobbyists. That whole sort of political uh, milieu, and we sort of try and really explore, you know, who really wields the power behind yeah. the scenes. And it's a fascinating insight into that world. But tell me, when you were thinking about writing this book, how did this come about? Did you and Chris have a beer one day and thought, hey, let's write a book together? Or how did this happen? Well, it was, it was actually quite serendipitous. We were, we were friends. Chris and I have known each other for a long time. Um, I dragged him onto the board of the National Press Club in 2008 or 2009. But it was several years later in 2011 um, about April 2011, so the weather's starting to get cooler in Canberra. And we used to occasionally meet at this cafe in Canberra's inner south, a place called Cafe Delish. And I would I would sort of um, go out for a run with a mate of mine, Morris Riley, and we would sort of go to the cafe, have a coffee about 7.30, and there would be Chris would be there uh, dressed in his suit with his iPad and his birch and muesli, waiting to, to go into uh, the ABC office in Parliament House and Morris and I would sort of turn up looking uh, fairly dishevelled. Anyway, one morning over a, a cup of coffee, Chris starts telling me of this idea that he's got swirling around in his head for a, a, a TV script and it was basically the beginning of uh, what became The Marmalade Files and I'd always wanted to write a political thriller based in Canberra. I moved to Canberra in late 92 and I always had this vision of writing a political thriller, a body being dragged out of Lake Burley Griffin one morning with the mist and the fog and I just thought it's a great, it's a great location to put a, a political thriller and we'd never done it. We had never, we've never done that really in Australia either as, as a novel, political novel, or in terms of TV or film. Now, when I say we've never done it, we have done it. Of course, the ABC had the code mm. a couple of years ago, which was set, um, you know, large parts of it were set in Canberra, and there have been various books. Like Frank Morehouse, uh, in the third book in his trilogy, uh, it was based in Canberra. But we don't have, we don't have the same sort of uh, history or franchise in terms of political drama that America and Britain and Scandinavia has and um, mm. so Chris and I basically said, "Yep, let's see what we could do." And I mean, a couple of days later, we started with a blank sheet of paper and we started to map out what became our our first book. So you both decided after that cup of coffee, "Hey, let's write a book together," just just like that. <laughs> it was pretty much like that. Well, what we decided was to see whether we could write a book because neither of us had ever written a novel before. I'd, re I'd written a bunch of non-fiction books. I'd written all these sorts of books, but I knew how hard it was to write a book. It's, you know, it's, it's, as you know, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, but, none of, but neither of us had written a novel. So there was a bit of a novelty factor. So we said, let's see what we can do. So we literally started with a, a blank sheet of paper 
uh, like a sheet of butcher's paper, and we started mapping out our our respective ideas. We had these two narratives, this like a dual narrative running down the sheet of paper. So, okay, what's your first chapter? Blank, you know, bang, bang, bang. Chris had his, you know, his part, and we thought, well, this looks a bit of fun. So we just started writing. We set up a shared a shared document using a, a Google shared document, and we started writing uh, individually. But we could see what each other was writing, and, and we thought, wow, this this looks a bit of fun. Um, and, and a month or so later, I thought, well, look, let's explore what the options are for publishing. So um, I, I rang up one of the best in the business, Shona Martin at HarperCollins, and Shona tells a story of, you know, because I worked at News Limited, and, of course, HarperCollins is owned by News Limited. So, you know, of course, I, I rang up and called in the old News Limited favour and, oh, mate, um, you know, I've got this idea. I'm working on this book with this guy, Chris Hillman. And... HarperCollins were immediately interested in the idea of two political journalists mm. co-writing a novel. They thought it was just a, a really, dare I say, a novel idea, and they were intrigued to see what we had come with, come up with. So Shona said, look, why don't you send us in a, a pricey of the book, a, a synopsis, and some, some draft chapters, and let's have a look at it. So we did. Wow. So how in the world did you, on a practical level, do that? Did you go, oh, you write one chapter, then I'll write the other chapter? Yeah. Or, or did you do it some other way? Yeah, look, what we did was we started mapping out the, the book. So we had these ideas that just came out, you know, came, came out um, as we were writing on the, on the butcher's paper because I guess we'd both worked in Canberra for a long time. I'd been in the press gallery for nearly 20 years. Chris had worked on and off in the Canberra press gallery for that time. So we both had a lot of stories and vignettes and anecdotes that we couldn't use in our day jobs, but, but we thought they could make good material. So we just started writing these ideas down. So we said, let's, let's, let's imagine it's the morning after the press gallery midwinter ball. It's, middle of, it's the middle of winter. It's freezing cold. Canberra's minus three or four degrees. And a journalist, uh, our journalist, our fictitious journalist, gets a phone call to, by someone who he doesn't know to meet down by the lake. And he does that. And let's see where that takes us. So we just started basically writing from that basis. And we, we wrote uh, these chapters individually, but they started coming together. And we thought after maybe a week or two that we, we had the, the bare bones of what might become a novel. So I'm really intrigued because there's two of you and you're writing different chapters, but there yeah. is a very strong narrative voice throughout. It doesn't, there's no jarring bits. There's, it really feels like there's one author writing yeah. this. So how did you achieve that? <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's, I think, really, really interesting because, you know, Chris and I have different writing styles. We are in the process of getting our third novel, um, uh, edited at present and you know we do have different writing styles I mean I'm a print journalist Chris is more used to television and they're very very different uh, um, uh, media as you know but what we did was we, we worked very well together we've, we've worked very well together um, and what we uh, while we might have individually written particular chapters by the time we had a first draft we would sit down we would take um, a week off work and we would just sit down and, and start from the first word and go right through the book, right to the last word. And we would read out aloud, we would, we would share chapters, and if something didn't quite feel right, if, if one of us wasn't happy with a particular part, we would try and smooth it out. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, we handed the book in, the, the, the draft 
into HarperCollins, yeah. and we've been very, very fortunate. We've had a wonderful editor, Amanda O'Connell, who's worked with us on all of our books, and Amanda is uh, quite brutal, but also very, very good at picking up any jarring parts and smoothing them out and getting rid of bits that don't work and, uh, you know, and that. So, you know, smoothing smoothing the rough edges. So I guess through the process we've sort of uh, learnt that we can we can compromise, we can work together. Um, if there's something that Chris uh, doesn't like that I've written, you know, I'll uh, I'll try and um, try and work with him to to fix it up and vice versa. So you know it's just something where we've um, we've we've really sort of uh, enjoyed the process and we've got to know each other's sort of I guess foibles and um, you know also it's a matter of it's a matter of being willing to compromise and to accept that um, Chris will have different ideas to myself. The main thing is we always work on the basis that the two voices, the two of us, I should say, will write a better novel than the individual could. So you have to work on that basis. So I'm curious to know, you've written three books together now, and when you're doing the you write one chapter, I write one chapter kind of thing, have you first plotted out the entire story? or yeah. you? Oh, so you already have your plan on your big butcher's paper or whatever, and yeah. then... And then you just basically write to that plan. Yeah, it's uh, look. It was. It's been different with all three books. The first book, The Marmalade Files, was very much. Uh, it all just came rushing out because we, as I said, we had all this material stored up in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we had the the final chapter or the final page of The Marmalade Files worked out and almost written um, right from the get go. But what we had to do was fill in a big part in the middle. Um, the second book, The Mandarin Code, we had to really uh, think about what it was going to say. It followed on from the first book, um, but also we were working, we were writing the second book uh, very much in mind with a mindset that Foxtel and Matchbox Pictures were wanting to develop the two books into a, a television miniseries. So our second book, I guess, was more was constructed with that in mind. So it meant that we had to really think about what it was they were after and to sort of really uh, uh, sort of ratchet up the, the drama and the thriller aspect to it. Um, and the third book, The Shadow Game, is is much the same as our second book where we we nutted out what the actual outline would look like. We, we sort of did a synopsis and then we started uh, writing it and, um, you know, we sort of broadly knew where we wanted to take it. But... I mean, it's a case with all books that you'll finish them and then you'll you'll hand them into an editor, and and she might find that there are missing bits here or that there are some chapters that are unnecessary. So you know, you're always tweaking. I mean, we're we're tweaking our third book right at the minute. So there's a there's a hell of a lot of writing, rewriting, and editing that goes into the process. So when you were writing the first book, at that point, did you know it was going to be part of a trilogy? No, no. We were we were signed by HarperCollins to we were signed by HarperCollins for a two book deal. Mm. And to be honest, we weren't, you know, we we, we probably um, didn't discuss that too much with each other because I think particularly Chris felt let's get a novel out there and then, you know, uh, get back to our day jobs. <laughs> um, in his case, you know, political editor for the ABC, which is a very busy gig. Um, but yeah, we were we were contracted by HarperCollins to write two books. So the second book was much harder; it was much tougher to write. 
Um, and also, we, we, as I said before, uh, Matchbox Pictures uh, were very keen to get a second book that they could then um, develop or adapt for a TV miniseries. So we sort of wrote the second book very much with that in, in mind. The third book, well, we went back to HarperCollins and said, look, you know, we've written two, we'd like to finish a, we, we think we've got another one in us and we'd like to, to uh, round out the trilogy and write a third book and um, it'll be out in late August and we're, we're, right. you know, we're pretty happy with, with where it's at. So it's pretty exciting that it's being made into this miniseries mm-hmm. on Foxtel and, yeah. you know, some great stars in there, Jackie Weaver, um, Anna Torv. Uh, when did, how did this come about? Can you tell listeners when you found out and, and how did it actually happen? Yeah, well, right from the get-go, uh, as I mentioned, when Chris and I first started talking about writing our first book, we always had in mind that we would like to see whether we could develop uh, the novel or novels into a, some sort of film or, or TV drama. So very much from the get-go, we were thinking that this had to have a, a visual aspect to it and we wanted to draw out the wonderful visual aspects that, that is Canberra. Mm-hmm. Um, so very early on, um, I think probably in early 2012, we started, so before Marmalade Files was published, it was published in August 2012. So before it was published in about April of that year, we started ringing around and talking to people to say, look, you know, we've got this idea for a, a novel that we'd like to try and see if we could turn it into something for, for television. Who do we talk to? And in the process of talking to uh, a number of people, um, Penny Chapman's name was mentioned. Penny Chapman's one of the uh, principals at Matchbox Pictures and is, you know, one of the uh, one of the greats of Australian television, responsible for some of the, you know, the best dramas that we've seen on TV over the past several decades. So we reached out to Penny. Um, I think uh, I think I emailed her or, or rang her up and said, "Hey, um, I'm working with this guy Chris Hillman. We've, we're writing a novel for HarperCollins. It's set in Canberra. It's a sort of a political drama." We'd like to have a chat to you about whether you would be interested in discussing whether we could turn it into a TV series. And unbeknownst to us, um, Penny actually studied at the Australian National University in Canberra and she had always wanted to do a Canberra-based political drama. She was looking for the raw material. So, look, it was, again, it was serendipity. It was just that we came knocking on her door at the right time. Uh, we started talking to her about what our plans were. We sent her an early copy of the book, I think even before it was published, she had a copy of the Marmalade Files and she said, yep, I like it, but it's not enough to sustain a, a six-part or an eight-part uh, miniseries for TV. And we said, well, we're planning to write a second book. So it was sort of like we started talking to Penny, we started working with her and started doing some workshops about how we might actually develop um, a drama for TV. And so, of course, in the miniseries, yeah. the character of Harry Dunkley yeah. is being played by a woman. Yes. How is that? Um, how did that happen? Well, that was early on. Um, Penny rang us up, rang Chris and myself up, and she said, "Hey, I've got you know something fairly substantial to, to raise with you." Um, and she said, <laughs> "You think?" We're thinking. I wonder what this is. She said, "How would you feel if your protagonist, Harry Dunkley, who was a sort of you know a bloke mid fifties, hard boiled journo who worked for the Australian yeah. newspaper, how would you feel if we turned Harry into a mid thirties female journalist?" And 
we thought, let us sleep on that. Because it was, look, it was quite a big deal for us, obviously. But yeah. look, we, we, we thought about it. We talked, Chris and I talked um, to each other, but also we were persuaded by Penny that it would make for a more compelling character, a more interesting character. Um, and I've got to say, of course, uh, it's turned out to be right because Anna Torv just plays Harriet Dunkley uh, absolutely brilliantly. She, I think, has really nailed that role and and is a very authentic, uh, compelling character. As, as a journo um, who chases the big stories, um, gets... Uh, Gets in in a real real bind and um, is is uh, like all political journalists uh, finds themselves being um, being uh, you know compromised and and facing big ethical and, and moral dilemmas. So uh, it's a great character and Anna Torv's done absolutely brilliantly in, uh, in in her portrayal. And obviously, you've seen the miniseries. What? How did it feel? just watching all of this unfold in on the screen when this was a mere idea at one point? It feels very good. Um, so just, just to clarify, we haven't seen uh, all of it. I've seen the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen episodes four, five, six. I've got a pretty good idea as to what happens because, of course, we were involved in terms of uh, helping with the uh, – providing feedback on the scripts. But, I mean, we, we sold the rights to our books to Matchbox, so they run under no obligation to um, uh, deal with us in terms of the ongoing relationship. And, of course, they did because Chris and I, we've worked in Parliament and we wanted to make sure that everything was as authentic, as close to the bone as possible. Uh, it was, look, it was pretty extraordinary. Uh, even when the filming in Canberra took place, it was about a month, we had about four days where we got access to Parliament House. That was just unbelievable. Um, I mean, Chris and I had been working for the past, uh, the previous 12, 15, 18 months uh, with various uh, officials and presiding officers and senior parliamentarians and the Prime Minister's office to try and get access to places in Parliament that have never been filmed before. So, for instance, we got access to the Prime Minister's courtyard and that was with... Tony Abbott. I mean, it was literally just days before Tony Abbott uh, lost the Prime Ministership to Malcolm Turnbull. So it's a pretty extraordinary time. Um, watching it now play out on the screen is is fanta- fantastic. The reception has been almost universally uh, very strong, very positive. People love the fact that Canberra is a very powerful and compelling character in the in the miniseries, and you've got probably probably the best lineup of television talent ever assembled for an Australian drama. You've got people like Jackie Weaver and Alan Dale and uh, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer and Eugenia Wan, Anna Torv, Dan Wiley, etc., etc. It's just an extraordinary cast. And I think they've, um, I think they have really, uh, uh, the, the way that the, the way that they have dramatized what takes place in Canberra, the competition between journalists and politicians, between journalists and, between journalists and other journalists, I think they've done a great job. I think the story is is very compelling, and I think people are going to really, uh, really love it when it hits the screen. Mm. Now, of course, you mentioned the great cast, and Jackie Weaver plays one of the very compelling characters, which is Katrina Bailey, who's the yeah. foreign minister in yeah. in in the in the in the story. And um, 
a very powerful character, quite a charismatic character. And I was at the cafe the other day and I was saying to some, telling someone my theories on who Katrina Bailey is based on. So I have to ask you (laughs) where you drew your inspiration from. Ah, well, you will see, you will see Valerie, if you look at the front of our books, uh, there's a very, very prominent disclaimer where we say that this, <laughs> these are works of fiction. All the characters are fiction. Anybody who thinks any of these characters might resemble real life politicians, uh, look. The truth is, the truth is that um, there are some characters that are more recognisable than others. But in all honesty, Chris and I, and the lawyers at HarperCollins, went to some lengths to make sure that uh, our characters are fictitious. They, they are blends of people. There are. There are aspects of characters that somebody says, that's just what, you know, X would do. And you think, yeah, that's actually right. But it's probably more subconscious than anything else. I mean, we have, you know, when you hang around politics for as long as we have, um, then you, and, you, and if you deal with politicians as closely as we have done, I mean, Chris is married to a federal MP, so he's more intimately involved with the politics than I am. I mean, you just get to know, you get to know how polit- yeah, politicians work and live, and it's, I mean, you know, Canberra is this sort of strange, surreal, fishbowl existence. Journalists and politicians, they go out at night and have a drink and something to eat, then the next day you're bashing up that politician in the pages of the newspaper or on the, the ABC 7pm news, so it can be a very, very bruising coexistence. And I think that's one of the uh, aspects that we tried to get through, both in terms of the books, but also in terms of the actual miniseries, that while you all work in the one building in federal parliament, it is a very bruising coexistence. Mm. And, of course, because both of you have had so many years in that existence, as you say, your head would have been full of so many stories. So... Did you have to kill a whole lot of darlings? You know what I mean? Did In that first book, did you have so yeah. many stories that you had to chuck many of them out? We left it to our wonderful editor, Amanda, to kill our darlings. She does a, <laughs> wonder, she does a wonderful job. She's killed off a few. No, look, not really. Not really. We, had, we did have a lot. Um, we had a lot of thoughts, a lot of anecdotes, a lot of, a lot of uh, um, stories. And, and some of the story, I won't mention which parts, but some of the plot in particularly the first book was actually based on some real-life work that we had done that we weren't able to use for legal reasons. So what better way to um, get it out there in the public domain than put it into a fictitious novel? So it is, it is a case that we've sort of put all these bits and pieces together and you sort of you write it, you sort of blend it, then you edit it, and it hopefully comes out as, as a readable novel. So it is it is really interesting. But we've I don't know that we've killed off too many darlings. I mean we in the third book we're killing off a few because we're we're trying to sort of uh, finish off the trilogy. But yeah, it's been um, it it's been it was very liberating writing novels as well. When you're used to writing just for a you know daily newspaper or for a seven PM broadcast and you're restricted to a couple hundred words, if you can write a, a long, long chapter with a you know a few thousand words put lots of colour and movement in it, it can be quite a liberating experience. Oh, yes. Now, when you are writing the novels, that is, um, and in the thick of it, so you're actually needing to to write down thousands of words, what is your typical day like? Do you have some kind of process or routine or do you – because you do a bunch of other things as well. So do you have to switch hats or what do you do to get it on paper? Yeah, uh, well, in in my case, I sort of um, 
I don't have a sort of a set time where I say I'm going to get up at 4am and do three hours writing. I don't work like that. I basically, um, I mean, Chris and I are both pretty disciplined and so we set ourselves the task of, I guess, each week writing a certain amount and um, we give ourselves plenty of time. And in the case of the second book in particular, um, I I had just left uh, News Limited, so I was basically... I guess on a sabbatical, so we spent probably several months. Chris took leave from the ABC, so we spent a lot of time just just writing the book. Um, but we unfortunately end up at you know our summer holidays. Basically, uh, you know we might be on holidays with our families down the south coast, and we end up spending uh, our mornings sort of trying to finish off the writing because we we haven't met deadlines. So it, look, it just depends a little bit. Um, mm. I find it very easy actually to sort of switch off from what I'm doing and to sit down and just to you know, try and write um, a chapter or a half chapter or uh, uh, when, I'm, when I'm sort of, I've got to get into sort of writing the novel sort of mode. I don't find it too difficult um, at all. And, you know, often we'll, we'll draft something, we'll write something out, the other person will come and have a look at it, change it a bit, tweak it, rewrite it, and, you know, we'll, we'll keep going over it. So it's just a, you know, it's a never-ending process of writing and, and, and editing and making sure you get the words right because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. It's the words that uh, people read that um, dictate whether it's a good story or not. Mm. And, of course, from the get-go, you started pitching this idea to production companies. So has yeah. that um, made you want to write screenplays and scripts? Um, it's made me very conscious of the fact that uh, script writing for TV or for film uh, is a very different dynamic to writing for newspapers or indeed writing novels. Um, But what it has done is it's made me uh, keen to continue to try and develop um, Canberra-based political drama. So I am working on some other projects um, and, and... you know, with other journalists or with other uh, uh, people. Um, I'm working with another uh, scriptwriter on a particular project, which uh, I'm hoping might be turned into a film. So they're, they're very, it's very different to what I've done with Chris Ullman. But um, what I would like to see is uh, a franchise for Canberra-based political drama. And um, anybody who's been following the, the rash of, you know, the, the great drama that comes out of Scandinavia, um, most recently the uh, Follow the Money, uh, which is a fantastic series playing on SBS at present. You've had Borgen, you've had The Bridge, you've had all these great Scandinavian dramas. Um, I want to see if we can do something similar with Australian political drama. I, I don't see why we can't. And I think there's, there's great talent in Australia and there's great stories we are in a unique position. I mean, that's the thing that that's that's the thing about this miniseries. It's um, uh, the, the Secret City. It really delves into that relationship between China and America, and the the, the tug of war, the tussle for supremacy, which is playing out as we speak. And that really hasn't been explored that much. It hasn't been explored by American film or TV, and it hasn't been explored by. Chinese TV or film either. So there's a great opportunity for us to do a drama out of Australia that actually explores these issues that have hopefully going to have universal appeal and will um, you know, will be able to be um, sold around the world, but actually are based in Canberra. So um, I'm, very, I'm very keen to pursue that. I think there's great opportunities. There's great stories. There are just so many great stories um, out of Canberra and mm. 
it, it's it's just a case of having the time and I guess the determination and the drive to want to try and take those stories and develop them for film, for TV, um, or or as novels. Mm-mm. What was the hardest thing about writing these books? Uh, uh, avoiding divorce? No. Um, yeah. Look, they the the first book was really really easy to be to be brutally frank. First book because we didn't know what we we're doing. We stumbled into it. We and we really enjoyed it. And for the most part, it was really enjoyable. And it was very quick. We wrote it, the Marmalade Files, in a hurry. The second book was much much harder. And um, Chris Why? Mont- well, because um, <clears throat> because we because the first book was moderately successful, we set ourselves a benchmark and saying, <laughs> "Well, we have to improve on that. We have yeah. to improve on that." So you know, and while we didn't quite know what we we're doing with the first book, the second book, you go, "Okay, right, we've got to we've got to write a better book than the first. And so we set ourselves uh, a benchmark, and it was I think it was just harder to motivate ourselves. I think. And, you know, Chris has said this publicly, so he won't, won't mind me saying it. I think Chris found it harder for himself to be motivated to write the second book. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a hell of a lot of work. And when you're trying to um, combine a, a day, you know, working working as the ABC political editor, and then you're trying to write a novel on the side, I mean, it really, really, really does become um, a bit of a, an intrusion, I guess. Um, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as a great privilege to be able to write and to be able to try and do something and develop this uh, idea and actually turn these creative ideas um, into writing that would eventually be published as a book. So I didn't sort of see it um, that much. But I guess that was the hardest part was for the two of us to really get into the, the swing of things for, for Mandarin Code. Um, with the third book, The Shadow Game, we were sort of really keen to get started on it um, it's some of the hard parts are obviously coming up with the narrative, coming up with the storyline, mm-hmm. and then making sure that that it it holds together, and that you can write hopefully fast paced political drama that's fictitious, that's close to the bone, um, and that hopefully um, is absorbing. I mean, the worst thing you want is for someone to pick it up and read the first page and just put it down. So you want to try and really uh, entice people to read the whole book and. You know, it's a classic where you want page turns, and uh, you know that that's the hard part. The hard part is coming up with a uh, a storyline from the first page to the last page that really, really holds together, and mm. and that's a, that's a, yeah, that takes a great skill. Well, I think you've successfully done that because it is page it is a page turner. It's certainly unputdownable. So, um, can't wait for the third book now. But anyway, um, on that note, so thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Valerie. I'm really, really uh, pleased to have chatted to you and uh, we'll talk again. So there you go. That was Steve Lewis. Well, that, yeah, wow, what a fascinating interview. And, you know, I think I find it really interesting that they, um, they pitched the idea for the miniseries to the production company before they even finished writing the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how proactive is that? Yeah. It's good on so them. So they obviously could see that it was, you know, that there was a lot of potential in it. Yeah, and what a fantastic cast they ended up with. I mean, how good would that be just to see that all unfold on the screen for you? Amazing. Something that was this little idea. Yeah, amazing. Anyway, I'm very keen to watch the um, rest of the miniseries. But let's move on to our web pick of the week. What have you got for us, Al? 
Oh, well, this is interesting. So I, I, I came across a post on therightlife.com, which mm. is one of the blogs I frequent on a regular basis. And um, it's about a, it's a new social media tool. It's free. Mm. And they are sort of saying that it's like, it's perfect for your next book launch. So I thought to myself, okay, what's this? So I went to have a quick look. Um, and it's a it's an app called Thunderclap. Mm. I don't know if you've heard about this. I've heard about it. Oh, good. Okay. Well, so it describes itself as allowing you to create an online flash mob. mob. <laughs> so you kind of you create a thunderclap, and, and you kind of get other people to join you. And basically, the idea is that then you you will all share the same message at the same time. Yeah. That will help you to spread the idea across different social media platforms. Right. Um, so you, you kind of you create your campaign by writing a message, you gather supporters to agree to share the message by a certain deadline on that, on that particular date, and then suddenly your message is blasted out across the social media platforms, which kind of sounds in theory like a good thing, but I wonder, um, have you seen it in action, Valerie? Do you know I haven't about it? Seen it in act- I haven't seen Thunderclap in action for a book However, it, um, obviously, the, it obviously works on the premise of that surround sound thing that if, if everyone tweets or, you know, posts about it at once, then it's going to get on the radar of more people because once you see it somewhere, you see it somewhere else, you go, oh, that was the thing I saw over there and it registers in your memory a little bit more. I've seen somebody try to promote a conference this way. Okay. However, uh, the concept of Thunderclap, so Thunderclap is really just the platform to use it, but it mm. can be done garnering um, a legion of, of supporters and getting them to promote your, whether it's a book or whatever, it can be done without Thunderclap. And it's something that um, Tim Ferriss, for example, the New York Times bestselling author of The 4-Hour Workweek, um, uh, employs in all of his book launches is he basically you know often doesn't give immediate interviews during the thing but he'll give the media interviews saving them up till the actual time of the launch that's when he'll place stories in all of these blogs that's when he'll go for it in social media and ask for people's support to spread the word and effectively creates that thunderclap that surround Mm -hmm. sound thing not necessarily using the platform perhaps but um, uh, yeah, obviously Thunderclap have realised that they can make it easier for people. But And I think what happens is you pre-write tweets for people as well mm, so yeah. that you just make it easy for people to support you and in order to get that massive amplification all at once. Yeah, and so, I guess yeah. as more people use it, it might get annoying, but at the moment mm. it's probably quite innovative. Well, it's an interesting thing anyway, and if you're interested in um, learning more about it, uh, this blog post that we will put in the show notes mm. is a real step-by-step how, yes. how to create your campaign, what you need to do, you know, how to sort of, you know, get your supporters together. You've got to kind of promote your campaign almost yes. before you promote your book. Um, so, you know, it talks you through how to do that, you know, whether you send emails, newsletters, whatever you do, and then preparing the campaign for the actual launch day so um it's a really you know useful step-by-step guide to using thunderclap so i just thought you know if you've got a launch coming up it might be something that you um are interested in having a look at yeah very comprehensive post so Mm. yep definitely we'll put that in the show notes so we're moving on now to our working writers tip this week and this week's question comes from renee miholka 
And Renee has said, hello, Alan Val. This may be an embarrassingly ignorant question, but I was trawling through my manuscript and wondering, should you use Redgrave said or said Redgrave? And if you use one way, does that mean you should keep it consistent throughout the manuscript or at least the chapter? I have tended to use whichever I thought felt right in the sentence. And then it dawned on me that this might be a four part. Would love to hear your thoughts. Over to you, Al. <laughs> oh, seriously, when do I get to be the person that reads the question <laughs> instead of answering the question? Um, okay, first of all, no such thing as an embarrassingly ignorant question yes. um, because I think it's important that if you have a question, you have to ask the question. And one of my key, I think, strengths as an interviewer throughout my entire life has been being completely unafraid to look stupid. Um, it's really, if you, can't, if you don't understand how something works, it's very hard to explain to someone else how it works in a feature story or something like that. Yeah. So I learned very, very early on that you ask the dumb questions and that's the best way to get the smart feature together. Mm. So let's, now that we've got that out of the way. That's a good um, quote. Ask the dumb questions to get the smart feature. Oh, there you go. Look at me. I'm all over it, aren't I? I'm so quotable. Exactly. And, you know, shout out to Joanna Baker-Daddle for putting one of Al's quotes on a, on a, on a, like a quotable, you know, she designed a social media. I was like a photo meme. I was so excited. I've never been one of those before. A quotable quote. Yes. Um, Anyway, this is not, that is not the point of this. Sorry. So with regards to Renee's question, should you use Redgrave said or said Redgrave, um, your instincts are absolutely correct to do whatever feels right for the sentence because Ooh. what you're trying to do with a said red grape, with any kind of dialogue tag, is to make it disappear. That's, yes. that's your main aim with a dialogue tag is to make it disappear. Um, you want people to know who's talking, but you don't want that to be the feature of what's being said. So I, I'm, I just opened up the Mapmaker Chronicles to a page to see what I'd done because that's always a good way to find out. And I found, you know... Uh, so, he said, you understand our language. Uh, just a little, said Quinn, kicking himself, just what I've picked up. So there within the space of two sentences, we've done it two different ways. Um, so the, the key is to basically do what works best for the actual you know, point of what you're trying to say. Yeah, for sure. And, and I would add quotable. to that. <laughs> 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 and I, I would add to that, if you're unsure read that section out loud. And if you find that you stumble over it, there's an issue there. And if mm. you find that it flows well when you read it out loud, you know, if you're unsure, then then leave it. Yeah. yeah. So pretty simple. Because one of the questions I often get asked is, you know, is it okay just to use, you know, he said or, you know, should I use exclaimed, yeah. gasped, laughed, you know, harumphed, whatever. E- ejaculated. Ej- oh. <laughs> Are we going to laugh about that again? People were laughing at us, laughing at that. There were tweets about us talking about ejaculations. Let's not go there. No, sorry. Um, but, yeah, so, it, it, you know, said is good in most cases yes. unless it's really, really important that we get this into the into the tag. Mm. Just use said because said disappears. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Let's move on to our platform building tip this week. You've got a really interesting link for us, Al. I love this link. Well, this is a link, um, and I, I, I confess I have shared this everywhere this week. Um, I shared it last year when it first came out, and then it was brought to my attention again, and I thought it's such a great post, I'm going to share it again. So it's written by the wonderful Walter Mason, mm. and Walter Mason is an Australian author who is just one of those good 
you know, he's a great community person and yes. he's a, and such a valuable member of the Australian writing community because he's a wonderful advocate for other authors yes. and that makes other authors advocates for, for Walter Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point of this article, it's called Good Let- Literary Citizenship, Why Helping Other writers ultimately benefits you and it, it it talks about something that I think is a really important thing of part of any platform and that is that your platform is not all about you and I know that mm. sometimes you know writers get so caught up in this notion that oh if I build a, an author platform I have to self-promote and I hate self-promoting and it's mm. a terrible thing and blah 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 we do all that um, but at the end of the day promoting the work of other people that you believe in, you know, that, mm. and this, that's important. It's got to be people that you have a connection with that, whose work, who are of doing course. things that you believe in. Yeah. Um, promoting those people is a wonderful way to make connections, to, you know, your name becomes associated with those people, mm. to, um, I don't know, I mean, Walter talks about how, Promoting other people, you know, he says, I always tell people that the only reason I was published was because I helped another writer. Mm. I had organised an author talk at a church hall in Sydney's North Shore and rather unexpectedly a whole stack of people had turned up. The author was understandably pleased and while I escorted her to the (laughs) toilet, this is very Walter, I thought I'd make some small talk and innocently, I swear, I said, my whole writing group turned up tonight They are very excited to hear you. Oh, she said, do you write? I had no idea. We should talk. And so began his speedy journey into publication. So, you know, as he says, he could have shouted his own talents from the rooftops for years, um, but ultimately the most important thing he did to advance his career as a writer was to help another writer look good and gain an audience. And that community aspect of writing is so important. If you help other writers, they will help you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, so important, that community aspect. And also not just helping other authors, but when you are part of a community, the networking is is vital. I'm always constantly amazed at some of the events that we run that have, you know, publishers from the major publishing companies in attendance. And, and, and yet people don't, people who want to get their novel published by these publishing companies don't come. And I find, you know, maybe because they say, oh, I'm not that interested in that particular author who's talking that night. That's not actually the point. (laughs) No. And it's about meeting other writers who are there with you on the journey. And you find it's, you know, it's that it kind of feeds in a little bit to that thunderclap concept we were talking about Mm. earlier. This is organic thunderclapping. Yes. This is how it works, you know, and it's, it's um, you know, as, as Walter says, you, you know, you buy new books and you read them. And if you have social media accounts, if you have Instagram or you have those sorts of things and you like the book, yep. snap a photo of it and put it on your social media. It's not, it gives you something to put on your, on your platform that day, which is something I know a lot of authors struggle with. It, it helps you to, it goes, look, here I am reading and here I am doing whatever tag the other author they will thank you there will be you know it's ways of talking to people without being hi here i am buy my book it's it's um it's those sorts of things going to author events as you say you if you go along to other people's author events and be supportive Mm. um you meet other authors and you know author events can be 
um, try to take it from me, can be the most terrifying things because you're always worried that no one's going to turn up, <laughs> that you're going to be standing there talking to, you know, the one person who wandered in just to, for a cup of tea because they were tired. And, you know, so be supportive of other authors, of other writers. Go and see what they're doing. If nothing else, you can learn and this is what I find interesting about them, I like to see what other authors do. Mm. I like to see how they present. I like to see what they talk about. And if you're someone who's writing a book and you would like to have it published one day, go because it will give you an idea of what to do when your book is published. Yeah. You know, it's not easy to do your first author presentation, particularly if you've never seen one. And if you're interested in building your author platform, remember to start now, not Mm -hmm. when you have finished a book, Mm -hmm. not when you've already, you know, published it and and it's in bookshops. Start now while you're still writing the book and, you know, the smart authors are doing that. And, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, all of this is explained in a step-by-step process in Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform. And we want Mm -hmm. to welcome, by the way, if you're listening, the new platform builders. Hello, platformers. Hello, platformers. Yep, who have enrolled in the course. And um, remember that you can do it any time. You don't have to join at a particular date. You can do it at your own pace. It's extremely comprehensive and it's a step-by-step process. And by the time your book does come out, you will have built your author platform. So find out more at writercenter.com.au slash platform. So that brings us towards the end of our episode this week. What are you doing, Al? Uh, this this week, coming week. This coming week, I am... Well, I'm writing because I am, you know, writing a book with Al. And as I'm Al, (laughs) I have to actually write the book so people can write with me. So I'll be doing that. And I'm putting uh, the final touches to the um, How to Make Time to Write course that I am creating. Yes. And um, I don't know, chasing my children around. It's pretty much what I do most (laughs) of the time. (laughs) Most of the time. And you, Valerie? Um, I'm going to sample a couple of events at Vivid. I'm actually about to go to something that combines two of my passions. Obviously, one passion is writing, and some people may know that my other passion is photography, and I co-host another podcast called So You Want to Be a Photographer. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. So this, uh, I'm about to go to a seminar that is being held by Canon, the camera people, and it's about storytelling. So very, very interested to see what that's all about. And, um, yeah, very keen to go. So that's what I'm – I'll be able to report back. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Where do we find you online now? You will find me at alisontate.com. You will find me at Alison Tate Writer on Facebook if you would like to. That's mostly where I'm doing my hashtag write a book with Al stuff. Um, you'll find me on Instagram at Alison Tate Writer and you will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. I, uh, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Just search for Valerie Koo. And occasionally when I'm in the mood, like when the big wet was on and I was really bored, I'm on Snapchat as the Valerie Koo. <laughs> I saw I, I saw a post this week that said that Snapchat has now um, outstripped Twitter. Crazy, in, right? In user numbers, yeah, which is a fascinating thing. I think it's a real spot for people to be, particularly if they write YA, because yes. it's mass. It's been a massive take up amongst teenagers. Yes, with definitely. that. 
Um, and I am not a teenager. <laughs> no, and I'm fascinated by you Snapchatting away. Do you use those crazy filters? I do. They're hilarious. Oh, I do not. I don't post though. I do use the crazy filters and I direct message my funny faces to people I know. <laughs> So you're not putting your funny faces out there for public consumption? No. Well, I'm so disappointed. And it's scary when, because what happens is if they then, because it disappears after seven seconds, right? But what happens is if they take a screenshot of it, you're actually notified. So it's quite scary when you get the notification that one of your friends has actually taken a screenshot of one of your funny faces. Ah. I know. I'm sure this is a phase. I'm just. It's a trap to. for young players, that really, isn't it? It is, it is. That's what, and unfortunately, a lot of teens have got themselves into trouble with that whole screenshot. Oh. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.